We are back in the studio. I'm Sarah Shallow. I'm joined by Steve Ingram and Rich Holland, and you are listening to Resident Strangers. If you did not listen to last week's episode, you need to stop right now and you need to go listen to last week's episode because you're going to be missing some important context for the conversation today. I know we say that a lot, but seriously, this time, pause it and go back and listen to last week's episode. So last week we talked about the atonement and the richness of what that means. But today we want to get practical. Rich even described it as, let's get personal. Let's talk about this. How does this affect us in our everyday life today, right now? Yeah, it's an interesting thing because we talked theology, we talked theory last time, and we talked about lots of different biblical themes and, and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I just imagine, I guess I can imagine this because I felt, feel like I've been here several times in my life, uh, thinking about all this stuff, thinking about Jesus dying. And the question occurs to me, what's wrong? What's the problem? What is the problem that needs to be addressed? And I think uh, I have been confused about that in times in the past, and I'm sure others are confused or at least unclear about what's going on. Um, you know, there's a there's a few key passages of Scripture that jump out to me that kind of help really clarify what's the problem and why did Jesus have to come? And Second uh, Corinthians five and Ephesians two. Uh, so maybe if you're listening, you could grab your Bible or something like that. Or unless you're driving, unless you're driving. But the problem is this: the problem is that uh, from the day I'm born, I am relationally separated from God. I am, for practical purposes, living at enmity with God. And one other passage I'll mention: Romans five eight that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There, there's a problem that we are separated from God. We are enemies from uh, enemies of God and separated from him. And I think I mentioned last time that the word atonement even points to what the problem is and what it is that needs to be solved that I am separated from God and God is working in his love and his grace through Jesus to reconcile me to himself. So, you know, second Corinthians five is a huge passage. It's the, you know, the reconciliation passage, basically uh, verse 12 through the end. And uh, you know, Paul is writing this and it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I almost want to read the whole thing here, but I'm not going to, uh, but um this is verse 18. Uh, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So the apostles, the followers of Jesus have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And then verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And then, of course, Paul then goes to the, to the missionary, right? We mm -hmm. are ambassadors. This is what God has called us who are Christ followers. This is what he's called us to do, to be ambassadors on uh, Christ's behalf, uh, urging people to be reconciled to God. The other passage I'll mention quickly here, and then Steve, maybe I'll get your take on some of this here. Uh, Ephesians 2, um, there's a couple of different metaphors. There's 
the metaphor of death and life. But then there's also this other metaphor in chapter two of Ephesians of uh, like citizenship. It paints the picture of like being in God's kingdom or being a foreigner. And so uh, I'll, I'll just read here, uh, Second, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians. I don't know where I got Second Corinthians in my mind because I was just there. Ephesians chapter two, uh, starting in uh, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by the hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now that's a powerful word right there, Yes. right? When, when I was living in the world without Christ, I was separated from God and I had no hope. But it doesn't end there, right? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here I was, right, living my life uh, as as an enemy of God, or at the you know I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the listener who doesn't isn't a Christ follower. At the very least, I'm not thinking about God. I'm on my own in the state that I'm in, living my life, doing my thing. And what God is concerned about is me. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, I think the society in which we live where, you know, we love to give participation trophies and everything. (laughs) It's this idea that, well, but I'm not that bad. I've not done that much wrong. So how is it that God would be alienated from me? Because I'm just not that bad of a person. Well, isn't that probably one of the most common objections to the gospel? Well, I'm a good person. Yeah, yeah I, would, I wouldn't do what that person has done. And maybe I mess up, but I'm a good person. And so where I always like to take people is actually back to creation. So God creates this perfect world. He creates Adam out of the dust of the ground, Eve from his side, puts them in the Garden of Eden, truly paradise. Paradise, yeah. They, he walks with them in the evening, he talks with them, he has relationship with them. And then they fell, they rebelled, they sinned. Uh, They disobeyed God. And they kicked out of the garden. The, The relationship is changed. And the question is, how many sins did they commit? One. And this takes us back to what we talked about a number of our podcast ago of the character of God. God is holy. God is altogether righteous. God can't have intimate fellowship which, with sin. It, it just is contrary to his nature. And so... Instead of then at that point just letting man go or destroying man, God in his love has a plan by which men can now have relationship with him again through the atonement of Jesus. But it's just one sin. That's all it takes. And when you think of sin, probably the best definition of sin I've ever heard is it's any word, deed, attitude. Uh, Jesus says, if you have hatred in your heart, you're like a murderer. 
that I do that falls short of God's perfect standard. And when I think about sin that way, man, I hate to think about how many times a day. I mean, you just drive here around certain <laughs> sections of our town. I won't mention them. Um, Maybe some of you are driving right now and it's, yeah. Yes, and, and yes, the, you, you, my attitude takes a beating because people cut you off and they are uh, not driving according to the rules of the road. <laughs> And, uh, but all of that is sin. And so we truly are, uh, the enemy of God. We, we are at odds with him, not on his side, but on ours. Right. Yeah. And I think so many people get this mixed up and I'm, it's probably Christians that are to blame for this in the way we, we talk pretty carelessly about, about this some, sometimes. But sometimes people get the idea that, oh, God thinks I'm a terrible person and I'm bad and I need to be punished. Uh, and they have this picture in their mind that the main thing that needs to be solved is how, how bad I am. But, but you're right. That's it. One sin. Yeah. And really, it, it, to me, I, I think of the word rebellion. Uh, if the atonement accomplish, accomplishes reconciliation, the problem that needs to be solved is my rebellion against God's good purposes, his perfect purposes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, here I am. It's not that I'm the worst possible person. It's right. not that I'm as bad as I could be. It's that I'm separated relationally from God and God wants me to be in a relationship with him. And in his justice, sin has to be atoned for. Sin, you know, he's... He cannot not allow the guilty to go unpunished. That's just part of his character and who he is because he is holy and he's just. I think that's why even today, many people who are not believers struggle when there is injustice because mm-hmm. we're created in the image of God. There is a sense of justice. We can't always agree on exactly what it is, but there's a sense of being just. And we look at this world and go, how, you know, it's just so unjust. And some people then go, can, how can there be a God, right? And, and that's their equating because we know inside of us that there needs to be justice. There needs to be equity. And so how it comes to play with each one of us is that our sin has separated us from God. And yet God in his infinite love is not looking to punish. He is not looking to cast us aside. He is actually pursued us in his son, Jesus to come and to die for us so that everyone that would believe in him could have eternal life. It is the incredible, uh, nature of God's love and his mercy and his grace that has provided a way when there was no other way. You know, that's another piece that I wanted to at least address a little bit is the question of, well, doesn't a good life get you to heaven? Because a lot of people think that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody could be sitting here uh, listening to this episode right now and thinking to themselves, uh, as often people do. Uh, okay. So if I, if, you know, there's a sin problem, you know, how about I just do good things? What if I clean my life up? What if I change? And instead of being, uh, cutting people off on the road, I will, uh, let, uh honk and wave and let them in in front of me or something like that. And I can just become a really good person. Why is that not the answer? Why is that not the answer to just clean up my life and live better? 
because we are still out of relationship with God right. because of who we are in our soul. And, and so. Well, I was going to say, I'm not a theologian, but even when I try to do good things, I still mess up. Does it not I work still out? Sit, well, I think I can do them, but I, but then the next day or the next hour, I sure. have something else that I'm struggling with a thing or a thought or whatever. So we, we need Jesus. And so what I think we actually see in the atonement is maybe the best argument you can find anywhere as to why that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Because if it would have been possible for me to have been good enough to have saved myself, to have lived a good enough life, done enough good deeds, uh, to somehow bring myself into relationship with God, then why on God's green earth did he have to send Jesus and put him to what he did on the cross? The cross itself, the atonement shouts, there was no other way. Without Christ, we were without hope. There was nothing that we could do. But God, we're here in Ephesians and I'm looking at it. In verse three, he says, among them, we all too formally lived in the lust yeah. of our flesh in de- uh, indulging the desires of the flesh and in the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Just as everybody else. Just as everybody else. And I think that's one of the, oh, sorry, you were going to finish a point. Well, just verse four. Okay. <laughs> that's right. That's the but most important one. I, I think the best but in the Bible, yeah. but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. So I I can't help, you know, in my mind's eye, I'm trying to uh, put myself into the shoes of the person out there who has not personally received Christ for salvation, has not personally trusted him for salvation, but they mean well, and they, they, they feel like they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to live life the right way. I can imagine that if that's true for somebody, how frustrating that must be. Because I've been there <laughs> where you just keep trying. You say, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. And you do the right thing and things go wrong. And then the next time I don't do the right thing. And how frustrating it must be to try to constantly, you know, people who do believe that salvation is earned by things that we do, that has to be the most depressing way to live life. It's so, it can be so frustrating, right? Right. Because we're, Sarah put it well, we're, we're not perfect, right? We can turn over a zillion new leaves and decide to do better, but we're, we're still, we're fallen. The problem remains. Yeah. And the problem is sin. And so if the, anyone thinks we're perfect, we're definitely not, you yeah. know, once you've accepted Christ, cause that's another, I think whose fault it is, I don't know, but this idea that, oh, Christians are perfect or think they're perfect or whatever. And it's, that's, 
At least not in this room. That's well, not the say, case. They haven't, they haven't met the Christians I know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> not in this room. they haven't met me. Maybe that would be the better way to put it. Because it's not about being perfect. It was never about being perfect. No, in fact, I mean, I think you could say that in order to be a Christ follower, it sort of seems like you first have to recognize you are the furthest thing from perfect that could possibly be, right? Absolutely. Because it is by faith in Jesus alone. And that's what I wanted to make sure that we were really clear on here. Because the gospel gets convoluted. It, it's not shared precisely. It's how does one receive the atonement for them? How does someone know that their sins are forgiven and that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think the Bible is extraordinarily clear, and sometimes we've made it really muddy. But the Bible is clear. How we do that is by faith in Jesus Christ. I think of John 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Now, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it just mean you believe he's a good man? Yeah, so in, in philosophy, we might talk about... Uh, oh, Dr. The, Holland's yeah, here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we could talk about believing that certain things are true. That That's one way of talking about belief. Right. I believe that Phoenix is the capital of Arizona. I believe, you know, it's whatever. the hottest place yeah. on earth. <laughs> I believe Phoenix. <laughs> so believe it, but that's not the, uh, that's not all that's wrapped up in right. what you're saying here, Steve. Right. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It's not just believe that Jesus is God's sacrifice or just that you believe that God exists, right? There's, uh, James addresses that, right? Even the devil, even the demons believe in God, right? And it terrifies them. Yes. So, the best definition I've ever heard of what faith in Jesus is, is to understand that he, as the son of God, died for me and that I put my trust for my eternal life in Jesus and in Jesus alone. It's not in the fact of, oh, Jesus died and I'm a good person. Right. But it is in Jesus alone. That is what faith in Christ is, that as the son of God, he came, he died for me. He was God's chosen one, his Messiah, to be my atonement. And I put all of my confidence in my eternal life and my standing before God and what he did on that cross. It's not praying a prayer. It's not saying the right words. It is the heart of embracing that I'm a sinner, I cannot save myself, but I believe that Jesus came and died and that he died for me. And I trust him now to be my savior. He is all my hope and plea. Yeah. That's what saving faith is. Wholehearted trust, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we were in Ephesians a few minutes ago. I think, you know, Ephesians 1 addresses this. He, Paul, of course, is talking to people who had already uh, become Christians through what, Steve, you're describing here. But he, he says in back in chapter 1, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, 
you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase of uh, purchase possession to the praise of his glory. So, you know, I'm imagining somebody out there listening. Uh, well, what is it that I have to do? Well, you have to believe, right? Like Steve was just explaining, you believe who Jesus is. You believe what scripture tells us about where we stand before God and you place your wholehearted trust in Jesus for your salvation, asking him and trusting him fully to reconcile you to God. That's what it is. And you can do that in prayer, in your heart. You can do that with the thought of your mind. God knows your heart and he came and died for you. He knew everything about you and he came and stood in your place and he stands there with open arms. And if you will put your faith and your trust in him, he will, he will come into your life. He will forgive you. He will make you God's child. He will give you eternal life. It is an absolutely free gift. And I will tell you that I made that decision many, many years ago now. And it, it is still the greatest decision I ever made because even as a young man, I knew I could never measure up to God's perfect standard. I had no hope. But when I understood that Jesus bore my sin, paid my penalty, and I put my trust in him, he gave me eternal life. And that was, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world and it then set on course and some things that we will be talking about later on in our podcast, but it sets on course. Now a life that's lived with meaning and purpose and really kind of the heart of being a resident stranger, the wonderful truth that this world's not our home, that we're going to go be with him, but not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. Amen. That's a great place for us to end. Thank you all so much for joining us. I hope that above all, you were encouraged. Don't forget, if you have questions, I know we, we, we definitely didn't get to all the questions about the atonement. Don't forget, you can email residentstrangers at dscchurch.com. As always, check the show notes for resources. And again, we hope you were encouraged and we hope that you're even more inspired to live for Jesus today. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening to Resident Strangers, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Resident Strangers is hosted by Steve Ingram, Rich Holland, and me, Sarah Shallow. Our show is produced by Brandon and Brittany Petrie, and again, me, Sarah Shallow. If you like our podcast, please remember to share, subscribe, leave a review, and visit dscchurch.com for more information. Yeah.